be through John that brought me to this passage. And then a few days later, in my quiet time, read part of this passage again, and it has really just stuck with me really the last month. Um, the last several weeks, <clears throat> this last, this couple of these verses have really um, spoken to me a lot, over and over and one of those verses you have to go look up again. Now, what did that say? Did that really say what I think it said? Um, Paul gets a little blunt with us here. He's writing the church at <coughs> Thessalonica. And we're going to look at both letters because he follows up to the things that he says. You could call the first letter bold and the second blunt. But I think most of us would agree he gets kind of blunt the first time. And so we're going to look at these blunt words of Paul, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. Let's begin reading in verse number, um, verse number 9. He's just talked about personal holiness, and then he moves on from holiness, and he talks about brotherly love. He says, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And of course, we've talked about this previous two lessons. How do we know to love one another? How do we learn that? How is it that we are taught of God? When we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, and the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. He starts producing love. And as we study it out, especially a love for the brethren, so he tells them, I don't really need to write to you about brotherly love. God's already been teaching you to love one another. And then he says, and indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, or we beg you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. In other words, keep up with the way you're loving. Do it more and more and more. Continue love. But now he adds something that these Thessalonian Christians really needed. He said, and, so he adds something to the love, increase in love, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Now let's look at a couple of these words for a minute. He said that ye study, this word study, you know, some people tell me in teaching for years, some people have, students have told me, oh, I'm just not good at that, or I'm not good at studying. You know, they're trying to prepare me for the fact that they're probably going to fail the test at the end of the class. I'm just not good at studying. What I usually find is often when a college student especially tells me they're not good at studying, what that means is, is they're not good at being diligent. That's a character problem. That's not actually a learning problem. Because I've even found that students with learning disabilities can do well. And, you know, if you let the teacher know that you have a learning disability, the teacher can, you know, help you, can cater things to where you can pass a test. And, you know, I've given oral exams to students who were really interested in learning, but they couldn't dare sit down and write out an exam. Well, do you know all the questions? I've done that at my camp before. A student comes up, they're standing there, they're crying. You look at their page, they filled out two things. And I've, I've seen them study. I know they've been working. So I just start going through. Do you know any of this? I don't know anything on that page. 
paper. Well, uh, do you know? And I ask them the first question. Yeah, and they give me the answer. I ask them the second question. Yeah, they give me the answer. They give me the third answer. They give me the fourth answer. I'm like, you just passed this test. Like, you did better than everybody else who filled out the test. Um, so it was, it was actually a learning disability. Um, we often refer to them as that would cause the student not to be able to do that. But they were diligent. They had actually studied. They had worked hard. And that's often what I have found is the case when a student tells me they're not good at studying. It's the diligence part is the part that has, is difficult with them. And as I said, it's a character issue. This Greek word that's translated study here literally has for its meaning to work hard. The word study in the Greek, the idea was hard work. Um, studying is not an easy thing if you're going to study correctly. You know, people say they want an easy way to study their Bible. Well, then don't use that word study if you want an easy way with it because, you know, it's not always simple. It's not always easy. Had a friend calling around. Her dad had assigned her to, um, they were moving to a different state had asked, assigned her to call a list of churches. I want you to call and I want you to ask these questions. Try to get to the pastor and ask the pastor these questions. And as she was talking to one pastor, he brought up Bible version issues and all kinds of stuff. And in the process of talking about it, he said, I need a Bible version that I can teach from and preach from that I don't have to study. I don't have time to study the Bible. And so I need a Bible translation that is so plain, I can just get up behind the pulpit and, you know, just not need to work with it. Anyway, she knew that was not the church they were headed towards. <laughs> but you just can't do that. That creature doesn't exist. If it is the Word of God, it will require study. It will require some hard work for us to be able to rightly divide it. So, but here he's not talking about studying the Word of God. He's talking about studying something else. He's talking about working hard, putting effort into something else. And he lists three things that the Thessalonians needed to invest some energy in. He said, number one, you need to study. You need to work hard to be quiet. That's funny. Now, as I see this and as I understand this Greek word, what he's really saying, and as my dad would say in South Mississippi language, because I was raised in a home in South Louisiana, raised by a South Mississippi preacher, and my mom was from South Arkansas, and the way they would have said it is keep your mouth shut. And literally, if you study this out in the Greek, Paul is saying work hard at keeping your mouth shut. Wow, I mean, imagine getting a letter from Paul that's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and as he's coming to the toward the conclusion of the letter, he says, now, I want you, y'all are really good at loving each other, but I need you to work on something. Work really hard at keeping your mouth shut. Now, you study some commentaries say, well, you know what he's really talking about? You go to these other passages where he talks about living peaceably with all men. That's what he means. But you study out the word, and it literally means to be quiet, to hold your peace, to stop talking. And so you look at this. Thank you, baby. He's Paul is telling them, if we take it literally for exactly what it says, 
And as we'll see in 2 Thessalonians, I think it lines up with it. What he's telling them, first of all, is he said you need to work at holding your peace. Work hard at keeping our mouths shut. You know, there's a time for us to be silent. Amen? You know, I mean, I've, I've heard messages about the sin of silence and how dangerous it is to keep our mouths shut sometimes. But the same can be true. It can be dangerous for us to open our mouths sometimes. But sometimes we're so scared of committing the sin of silence that we say too much. I don't know if any of y'all have a tendency to do that. I have a natural tendency to say too much, especially if I get nervous. I start talking endlessly. And I walk away from a conversation, and I'm like, that was so dumb. Why did I say that? Or I gave out way too much information in that conversation just because I was nervous. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. But that's, that's a real struggle, right? Because that oh, justifies yeah. opening your mouth. Mm-hmm. We justify a lot <laughs> by the fact that it's true. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so, anyway, so what he was say saying, that. if you missed the beginning of that, what he was saying was, just because it's true doesn't mean we're supposed to say it. I mean, think about it. We may know something that's true. I may know something really bad about Mr. Muldrow. I used to live across the street from him. I could tell you all kinds of things. No, just kidding. I don't know anything bad about him that I learned on his street, okay? Or otherwise. <laughs> Let me add that in there. But let's just say, okay, so my neighbor, I move off the street. I know all kinds of stuff about him, let's just say. Okay, I'm pretending here. Well, it's true, right? I mean, our brothers really need to know about this because he's, I mean, you know, it's just really important. It's true. And it's a, he really needs prayer. So we need to pray for him. You see where I'm going with this? We often turn prayer requests. Uh, we often turn gossip into prayer requests. All it is is gossip. Well, but I needed to say it. No, you didn't. And that would be a time. I think it's interesting that he doesn't specify exactly what he's talking about here. And I think sometimes the Holy Spirit does that because he knows 2,000 years later or so, there's going to be a group of us reading this going, I wonder what they were talking about. But the Holy Spirit's saying, I was being general to them because their hearts knew exactly what I'm talking about. And the Holy Spirit says, and the application for you, oh yeah, you know exactly. I told Laura this week, I'm like, this lesson is perfect for coming up on the holidays because we're going to be around relatives be a lot around, around a lot of relatives. And sometimes we just need to keep our mouths shut. You know, a conversation comes up and boy, it could explode. But we're mad. I mean, they have stoked and they have poked and we are ready for a fight. You know, everybody's discussing masks or everybody's dis discussing vaccinations or everybody's discussing politics or all the other relatives are Democrats and you're the only Republican family there. Whatever the case is, there may be a time to speak truth, but there may be a time that we just keep our mouths shut. Let's look at a few words, a few verses about this in Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 19 Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words, 
There wanteth not sin. There is no lack of sin in the multitude of words, he's saying. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. Now, for some of these things, we need the Holy Spirit's direction. Do I speak or do I hold my peace? And I've learned that a key thing to help me to know when to hold my peace when I'm actually paying attention to it, and I pray, Lord, do I say something or don't? I mean, you've got just moments to speak. If the Holy Spirit doesn't give me a, a green light, say something, I should just keep my mouth shut. Because it's a lot easier to ask God for forgiveness and to fix what I didn't say than for me to speak up, say too much, and now it's like trying to get the toothpaste back into the tube. It's pretty much impossible. You leave a mess behind you when you try to get it back in. <laughs> Absolutely. Proverbs 15, verse 1. Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. There is a time for every one of us where even the truth would just simply be grievous. I mean, we are mad, we are angry, and no matter how we say it, it's not going to come out right. And that's the time for us to hold our peace. Proverbs 18, 8. The words of a tell-bearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. It's a painful thing. It's a painful thing to hear someone else telling a tale about you. I was at a hotel one time, and the walls were really thin. And a friend who was very angry for a stand that I had had to make to protect a young person in the group. Was really mad. It's late at night. I couldn't sleep. I wake up. The, the power had gone out, so there's no noise at all. It was very quiet. And there's a conversation outside of my bedroom window right beside my bed. And it went on for a couple of hours. Guess who it was about? It was about me. That was hard to listen to. I think that was a good lesson for me. I mean, they thought they were in private. I mean, a couple of times I thought about sticking my head out just to let them know, you know, other people can hear you. I mean, I was, I was, I mean, the conversation was about me, but it was a private conversation. Like, it, you know, I wasn't in, but I just laid there and I heard, now I don't even remember what it all was now. But the words of a tailbearer are as wounds. It hurt hearing what I heard that night. And they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Proverbs 23, 9. Speak not in the ears of a fool. That's a time to hold our peace. Dealing with a fool, they're not going to listen. They're not going to pay attention. We are wasting our time. We're wasting our breath. He said, speak not in the ears of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. Proverbs 29, 20. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. 
I've been hasty in my words many times, and I can say amen real loud to that. Ecclesiastes 5.3. My children were laughing out loud at this verse at the dinner table last night. Ecclesiastes 5.3. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. Ouch. That'll make us all walk around like monks all day, won't it? <laughs> a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. Wow. Painful. Proverbs 14.23. I don't think I read this one. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury or to poverty. So the first instruction he gives them, he said, study or work hard to be quiet, to hold your peace, to keep your mouth shut, as I said, is how we might would say it today. He's being very strong with them. Of course, we know we hold our peace to gossip. We hold our peace to complaining. We hold our peace to murmuring. We hold our peace when we're speaking in anger. He said, work hard to be quiet. Work hard to keep your mouth shut. Then secondly, he says, and work hard also, study also to do your own business. Again, let's put this into modern language. He's saying, work hard at minding your own business. That's how we would word it today. Ouch again. I mean, you know, it's a lot more fun to mind somebody else's business than my own. I mean, my own is a burden, right? Amen. Anybody else's business a burden to them? You know, somebody else's stuff is a lot more fun because it's not my problem. But we like to make it our problem. And apparently this was a serious problem at the church of Thessalonica. So he tells them, you're really good at loving one another. You've got brotherly love down. He gives an example of how wonderful they've been at showing brotherly love. And now he says, I want you to study. I want you to work hard at keeping your mouth shut. I want you to work hard at minding your own business. And as I said, this is confirmed with 2 Thessalonians. This is exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about each one of us learning to pay attention to our concerns, to our issues. I learned this lesson real importantly when I was a little kid. And I, as the oldest brother, when my brother and sister would start to get into fights, I would try to be a peacemaker. I mean, the scripture says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Well, I was Mr. Little Spiritual and trying to be the peacemaker. And one, one afternoon, I was in my bedroom, I was sitting in my floor, I was having my quiet time, and I was reading in Proverbs. And here goes Jason and Kristen. And they didn't do this all the time, but there was a time period where every day they would tear into it about something. I mean, he would just start, yang, 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 and then he'd get more and more and more until it's an all-out fight. And so I'm sitting in my bedroom floor, and I'm hearing it go on, and I'm just like, oh, here it goes again. I must have been about maybe 12. And I'm like, I'm going to go deal with it again. I mean, I had just taken it on myself, you know, be the big brother. I'm going to fix this fight. Anyway, I go to get up off the floor, but I thought, I want to finish reading real quick. Well, guess what the next verse said? He that walking by a matter 
Um, I don't remember how the, I don't remember it word for word, but he that walketh by um, and intermeddleth with, anyway, a matter belonging to other two, two other people, it's like he that taketh a dog by the ears. I sat back down on my bottom. I had to think about that for a second. What would happen if I walked up and grabbed the dog by the ears? That would be a fun fight. I would lose. And I lose every day when I get in there and try to fix their fight. And I realized what would happen is I'd go in the room and I would start trying to help them use reason, logic, to solve their problem. Well, one of them is being illogical, at least one of them. And so now the one who is not being logical is really mad because I've taken the side of the other one. I'm not trying to take a side. I'm just trying to help them realize this is a really dumb argument, and this is fact, and this is fiction, okay? This is just the way it is. As an outsider, I just saw it real clear, right? Anyway, well, now one of them's mad. So now it's two against one, and so now the fight's even worse, and it's getting worse, and now I'm angry. I was realizing this is what's happening every day. I'm not being a peacemaker. Why? Because I'm in somebody else's business. But blessed are the peacemakers. So we knew, but I wasn't making peace. So how can I justify inter- meddling with somebody else's business? How can I justify grabbing the dog, the same dog by the ears every day, being bit by it, and going back to grab it again? Because blessed are the peacemakers. I wasn't making one lick of peace. Why? Because I was in somebody else's business. I received a phone call one day, um, and a woman was trying to help two young women in a church that were having an issue with one another, and she said, I need you to come to the church and just sit and help bring peace between these two. Instantly, this is the verse that came to my mind. There is a time where you go sit down and be a counselor, but I knew these girls don't need counsel. They just need to forgive and love and learn to see things from one another's perspective and their fights would be over. But it was, ca- it was causing some issues in the church, but really it came down to one thing. These two girls just needed to learn how to get along. And so the lady's talking to me. I want you to come. I've already talked to both sets of parents. They're going to be there and I'm going to be there and I need you to come and be an authority figure. Anyway, I just told the lady, I said, no, ma'am, I'm not wasting my time. What? I said, no, ma'am. I said, this is between them. I said, neither one of us can help them. I said, if you want to help them, go lock them in the nursing mother's room and don't let them out until one or two things happen. They either kill one another or they learn to get along. It was real quiet. <laughs> but I meant it. I didn't mean the kill one another part. I knew they wouldn't actually kill one another. I was being extreme in my language on purpose. I was trying to make a point. You're trying to fix their problem. You can't fix their problem. It's not your business. It's not my business. It's not their parents' business. These young women are old enough. They need to be stuck in a room and learn to get along. If they're both saved, they're sisters in Christ. They both claim they're saved. They both claim they love one another. Then let them work out their problem. We need to quit grabbing this dog by the ears because everybody in the church that's grabbed it has been bit by it. So it's time to let them work out their problem themselves. 
There's just times where we need to learn that it is not our business. It's not our affair. And as much as we want to help, we need to take everything to the Lord in prayer. And sometimes when we've got it before the Lord in prayer, the Holy Spirit shows us you are the person that can help with this problem. You are the person to speak up about this issue. But more than likely, what we hear when we get before the Lord is, it is none of your business. Mind your own business. Go about your own things. You have enough of your own problems. That's what the Holy Spirit tells me anyway. That's not your business. That's not your issue to meddle in. And so there are times, often, as I said, if we take it to the Lord in prayer, if we need to talk, talk to the Lord about it. And so often we take it to the Lord and we find genuine peace and we find the ability to be able to step back. And it is hard work because you have to seek the Lord about it. It is hard work because it takes self-control and not just saying what you want to say and not just intermeddling or being involved where you want to be involved, but listening to the Holy Spirit. So he tells them, you're really good at loving one another, but I want you to work hard on something else. He said, I want you to study or work hard at being quiet, keeping your mouth shut. Secondly, I want you to work hard at minding your own business. And then third, he says, and to work with your own hands. He said, I want you to work hard at working with your own hands. In other words, don't be lazy. You know the old proverb, um, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Well, what's some of the work the devil does in there? Well, when we're idle, the devil gets us focused on other people and other Christians. Oh, look what they're doing. You need to tell so-and-so about that. Oh, look what they're doing. You need to go correct that. What's interesting is we often go correcting everybody else. It's about our personal standards. It's not about actual truth, and it's not about right or wrong. It's not about an actual sin issue. We're not confronting somebody who's in adultery. We're confronting something, uh, somebody about something that we like or dislike ourselves. He said, "How?" I, and I really think this is key to fixing the whole thing, and 2 Thessalonians is going to confirm that. He says, be diligent. Work with your own hands. Work hard with your own hands. We're going to see in just a minute more about this in 2 Thessalonians. But it's so important if you and I will work hard with our own issues. I've heard preachers say, I've got enough sin problems of my own. I'm working too hard on mine to fix everybody else's. And some people say, wow, what a negligent preacher. He ought to be dealing with the sin of everybody in his church. Well, if every pastor did that, and I've known pastors that do that, Um, their own life falls apart because they're too focused on everybody else's problems. So he says we need to, to work hard with our hands. And I mean, he's literally talking about working. He's literally talking about going out, getting a job. He's literally talking about working hard in the ministry. Whatever it is, put your hands to work. Now, what's the result of this? And then we're going to move over to 2 Thessalonians for a minute. If we will learn to keep our mouths shut, if we'll learn to mind our own business, if we'll learn to work hard with our own hands, what's the result going to be? Verse 12, he said that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. 
that ye may walk honestly. He's talking about reputation. We talked about our identity last time I taught Sunday school. The identity of a believer is that we love one another. But now reputation. What are some things that affects our reputation as Christians? How we use our mouth. Whether we're minding our own business. And whether we're working hard with our own hands. It does create a terrible reputation of terrible taste in the mouth of non-believers when they see Christians doing the opposite of these three. I was reading a book one time, and uh, an attorney made the statement that he equated um, Christians with bad pay. Because he said, and this was a Christian attorney, but he said, anytime I have Christian clients, I know I'm probably not going to get paid. At least not paid right. I mean, after all, he is their brother in Christ, right? You know, so, I mean, what an awful thing. I'm just glad it was a Christian attorney saying no. But, I mean, can you imagine? That's not supposed to be the reputation of a Christian. A Christian should be known for hard work. A Christian should be known for minding our own business. A Christian should be known for holding our peace when we need to. How do you think we will be able to live with people, with all men, as much as is possible peaceably? It's going to be by prayer, and it's going to be by these three things. It affects our reputation with the lost world. And then secondly, look what he says. We'll be able to walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. He said, do you want your needs to be met? He said, we'll do these three. Now, as we turn over here to 2 Thessalonians, we find out part of the backstory behind this. There were apparently Christians in the church at Thessalonica. There were Christians who were jobless. So what were they doing as they were jobless? They were talking too much. They were busybodies in other men's matters. And so he tells them, you need to study to be quiet, mind your own business, and work with your own hands. And if this happens, your needs will be met. Now, look over at 2 Thessalonians. Sometime later, Paul writes to this church again. Let's see how they were doing. If we begin reading in chapter 3, as he comes to the conclusion here, look at... Verse number five, the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. This word disorderly means out of line. There's a brother, he's walking out of line. And not after the tradition which he received of us. Now, we can look at that and call this disorderly. We could put all kinds of conduct to this. But let's look at the conduct, uh, the context. Specifically, what is he talking about walking disorderly? Keep reading. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. You already know. Well, how did they already know? Well, Paul had been there and he had taught them. Then he had written them an epistle previously. He had already written 1 Thessalonians. You already know how to follow us. 
He said, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Now, here he goes using this word again. We were not out of line when we came and we were among you. He said, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example or an example unto you to follow us. I think what Paul's saying here, I showed up, I taught at Thessalonica, I spent time here, I spent time with you, and I rightly could have shown up and demanded love offerings, demanded that y'all provide my food, that y'all take care of me. I mean, it was very clear that uh, a pastor, that a preacher, um, that he was to be paid. He was to be paid, paid good. And because Paul had used in another um, letter, he'd used the verse uh, from the Old Testament law, uh, muzzle not the ox that treadeth the corn. In other words, take care of the needs of the preacher. And he said, we could... We could have come in and we could have done this, he said, but we didn't. He said, we worked night and day. We worked to provide for you, to, or to provide for ourselves, to leave an example for you. Now, what was the issue? Paul might have gone to another city and received love offerings. He might have gone to another city and they fed him and he took it, no problem. But he knew the church at Thessalonica needed an example. You're having some problems with something. It was their work ethic. There were some people in the church that didn't have a good work ethic. So Brother Paul shows up and he says, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work night and I'm going to work day. And I'm not going to be chargeable to anyone in this congregation. Because you need an example in how to do this. Paul's not pre teaching against paying the preacher He's saying, I showed up and I did it this way because you need an example in how to work, in how to follow us. Verse 10, he said, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. What is he talking about? Walking disorderly among you? What's the context here? He says, when there is a, and this is not for the outside world. He didn't say, go and enforce this on everybody else. I don't know that I've ever heard this verse used. Maybe, maybe I have. But almost every time I've heard it used from the pulpit, it's talking about a beggar that walks up to you on the street. Don't give them anything because if they don't work, they don't eat. They deserve to starve. Oh, those good for nothing homeless people. You know, I mean, that's, that's how I've heard it used. That's not the context. That's not what Paul's saying. He said, in the church, if there's a brother that won't work, don't feed him. Well, why not? That's so mean. Because after a little bit, he'll get hungry. And he'll do something. That's the context here. He said, when I was with you, I told you, if you don't work, you don't eat. Then he writes them a letter and says, quit talking so much. Mind your own business and work. Do something with your hands. And if you do that, you're going to be provided for. And then he gets here and he reminds them of all this. And verse 11, he said, For we hear that there are some which walk among you 
disorderly. There's some of you that are out of line. You're not doing this. Look what he says, working not at all, but our busybodies. I think in verse 11 right here, we have the cure for being a busybody. If somebody's a busybody, it's because they don't have enough to do. They don't have enough of their own stuff to do. Moms, dads, you see a kid being busybody and other kids matters, give them something to do. Get them busy. They'll quit worrying about what John's doing because Betty's too busy now to worry about what he's doing. Uh, it's kind of, that's kind of like what um, John was doing when Jesus told him to feed the sheep. Or sorry, John told Peter to feed the sheep. Peter was being a busybody when he asked, well, what's John going to do? And that sounds like a little kid. But I mean, every one of us can get that way. You know, we're serving at the church, and we're serving at the church, and we're serving at the church. Well, Lord, just so-and-so don't serve at the church. They never do anything. And we start complaining. We're just like Peter. We get to complaining. We get our feelings hurt. I've seen people get mad and leave a church. Now, I remember the first time I saw it as a teenager, I saw a man who worked and worked tirelessly. He was up at the church every weekend working hard. And it was constant over and over and over. And all of a sudden, he was just sick of it. He said, nobody else in this church does anything. I'm the only one. And it was true. He's the only one that showed up on Saturdays. And he was there every week doing stuff that he saw needed to be done. But after a while, he got tired. After a while, he got wore out, and he started looking at everybody else. And that's where the problem came, when he started looking at everybody else. So even when we're working hard, we can start, if we're not doing the right job, maybe he was doing too much. Maybe some of those flower beds need to grow up a little bit so that somebody else would step up. But whatever the case was, he said, I can tell you how to fix this. He said, some of you aren't working at all. You've become busybodies. This word busybody is really interesting. I was doing some research on it this week. Let's see if I can find the definition. I wanted to read the exact definition of the Greek word here. It's to bustle about uselessly, to busy oneself about trifling, trifling needless, useless matters. It was used of a person officiously inquisitive about others' affairs. I looked up that word officiously because I thought, huh, that's not one I'm real comfortable with. It means assertive of authority in an annoyingly domineering way, especially with regard to petty or trivial matters. Intrusively enthusiastic in offering help or advice. Interfering. And then it offered as a synonym, self-important. Ouch. In other words, a busybody is someone who has decided that they are smart enough to deal with everybody else's problems. And so in the case of the church at Thessalonica, there were some of these people, they didn't even have jobs. They didn't do anything. They didn't show up at the church to work. They, they didn't work with their hands at all. Nothing. They didn't have a secular job. I mean, nothing. They didn't work at all, he said. But then what had they become? They had become busybodies in other men's matters. 
he says, he tells us how to deal with them now. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, if you're one of these busybodies, this is what I exhort you to do by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness, with peace, with calmness, and he's actually using this as the exact opposite of busybody. He said, with quietness, they work and eat their own bread. Don't show up to anybody else's house looking for food. Don't come to the church expecting everybody else to feed you. He said, work quietly with your own hands. So he deals directly with the people who aren't working. He deals directly with the busybodies. Then verse 13, but ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. So here's his message to the people who are working hard. Don't be weary. Don't wear out. Don't give up. Don't quit. In another place, be, um, he, he tells us to not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap if we faint not. But then he tells us, how do you who are working deal with those who aren't? Verse 14, and if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. I looked up that word company there, and it has to do with don't be intimate with that person. Don't be close to that person. There's somebody in the church, and they just will not work. They want everybody else to take care of them. They're constantly in everybody else's business. He said, don't be close to this guy or to this gal. Now, this isn't so odd to tell us this. I mean, in Proverbs, it said with an angry man, metal, uh, what was it? Be not friends with an angry man, with a furious man, thou shalt not go. It's the same thing, except here it's not talking about an angry person. He's talking about a lazy person who's a busybody and everybody else's matters. He's saying, don't have this person over and make them your best friend. He said, because they'll be ashamed. He said, yet count him not as an enemy. He's telling him, do this carefully. Because if you do it wrong, it's going to come out that this guy is your enemy. You're going to think he's the enemy. He's going to think he's the enemy. Everybody else is going to think he's the enemy. He's not the enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Treat him like a brother. Now, I want to add here, Paul didn't come in and with first offense, Say, okay, all the lazy people in your church that are lazy and they're backbiting, they're talking about everybody else and they're minding everybody else's business, don't have anything to do with them. Figure out who they are, mark them and don't do it. Paul had been there and he had given them instructions. Paul had written them a letter and given them instructions. He was very bold. And now he's blunt. I've told them twice. This is the third warning and if they don't do it, mark them. And don't hang out with them. That's strong. That is just, that's why I said the first one's bold, the second one's just blunt. I mean, he just gets down with it. He says, deal with it. This is a problem that must be dealt with. But folks, for every one of us, if we just deal with this problem in our heart to start with. So I just challenge you, this week, seek the Lord. Lord, help me to know. Help me to know when to keep my mouth shut. Help me to know when to stop talking. 
Lord, help me to know when to mind my own business. Lord, help me to be diligent and work with my own hands. And if we did those three things, we would cure all the problem of this whole issue. But really, it comes down to a heart issue. Am I submitted to the Holy Spirit? Because when we're following the Holy Spirit and we're in line with him, we're going to be sensitive to these. We'll realize how hurtful our words can be, how harmful we can be when we're a busybody, and how important it is that we just be diligent and work hard. Dear Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would um, speak to our hearts, that you would help us to be sensitive to your leading this week. Lord, you've taught us how to love one another. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as individuals within this church body. Lord, you know who needed this, and Lord, I don't know who needed this this week. But Lord, you know who needed to hear this. And so Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would touch our hearts. And Lord, help us to be sensitive to you, that we would keep our mouth shut when we need to. And Lord, we would only speak when, when we're really prompted and really led by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us each to mind our own business, to be concerned about our own affairs, not to be selfish, but to learn how to truly, genuinely bear another's burdens and not just be busybodies and excuse it away by bearing a burden of someone else. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to be diligent and to work with our own hands. And Lord, I pray that as we do this, that we would see your word fulfilled, that we would have a good reputation with the lost world around us that are watching. And Lord, we do know that you will provide our needs, every one of our needs, when we're doing these things. Lord, pray that you would speak to us through your messenger in a little bit, that you would be honored and glorified through our music, and um, Lord, the praise that we lift to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.